Good morning. Good to see everybody here. We've been enjoying a lot of nice weather the last week or so. We're looking in the New Testament, in the New Testament book of Colossians, and that's uh, we're still in chapter one. We were singing a little while ago the ancient words. There is a sense in which that's sort of what we do when we come to the Bible, because the Bible, our English translation, is a translation of the ancient Greek manuscripts and in the Old Testament Hebrew and a few Aramaic verses. But those verses have been, and those words have been preserved, and we seek to study them. And because they are ancient words, we have a tendency, perhaps, to think that they are outdated, outmoded, but they are as up-to-date and as powerful today as they've ever been. And if you read the Bible, God use it in your heart. Read it and apply it. Let God use his word to open your heart and you find life. That's what we are trying to do here in this passage. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we are, our section is beginning in verse 3. It goes down to verse 8. And in this passage, which is a long sentence, Paul writes a lot of long sentences, but in this, in this, in this sentence, uh, he is expressing his gratitude basically to God for the gospel, for the church of Colossae, which they received through the word of Epaphras. Um, and so he talks about that. So let me read them to you, and then we're coming back, and we're going to slow down. But he says in verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard of the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he has he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Well, there's one sentence. It is a long sentence. And so what we are doing in order to try to understand it is we've broken it down with a number of key words from that text. And the first several words are found in verse four, the word faith, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the word love, which you have for all the saints, which is aimed at the hope, which is laid up for you in heaven. Those three words we looked at, you're familiar I'm sure in the text with these three, faith, hope, and love, those three that appear several times in the New Testament. And uh, it, is, it is an encouragement and a fact that the gospel does indeed work in our hearts to produce faith, which is a, um, an understanding of who God is and what he has provided and what he is doing in our lives and what he's commanded us to do and how we respond to that. And uh, that's a, that's a, it, it means that we can understand who God is and understand what he is doing. And faith does that. Faith hears and re responds to us. It's a confidence that we have in him. Secondly is the word love, which is not just an emotion. We think of faith and love as an emotion, but it's not really 
simply an emotion, it is a provision, it is an action. Um, I, I know what it means, for example, and with when my wife was alive, so at times when uh, we might have a disagreement or something, we may not be on hugging terms at that moment. I don't mean to say that we were would not hug, but that, you know, we would be have discussions. But I still was always trying to, at least expressing my love to her by helping with the dishes or helping her. Many times I'd help her iron her blouse as she was getting ready to go out and help with, with things like that because it displays love. Love is a volitional decision to do good for somebody else, not based so much on how you emotionally feel, but because you want to do it. So this is the description here of the salvation relationship we have with our Lord is that we have confidence in that relationship through faith. It is performing that we have a love. He uses that phrase love for all the saints. We do, do good things to each other so that this is a church and a body, a fellowship, and that we have a relationship to God through faith, that that faith is displayed in love to one another, the things that we do and try to provide and, and display. And then that final word in that text is the word hope, which aims at the future, the expectation of what God has already said he's going to provide. We know that these things are fact. We know they're going to be taken, they're going to happen. And so we just are hoping and anticipating those things that are future. So those three things are there in the text to get us kind of started in the text. He goes on to mention uh, that this message has come to you just as in all the world, that uh, has to do with proclamation, that God's gospel has been proclaimed. You realize, of course, there are a lot of opinions about what the world needs, and you can turn on the television, you go to the news, and you can see people expressing a lot of ideas, but there's only one gospel truth that saves lives, saves people, and turns and will save our nation, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And that's what he's saying is this message has been proclaimed throughout the world. It is a message that has been uh, at work. Paul is thankful for this church because the gospel has been effective in that church because they have responded and they have come to him. And so it's a good thing. It's a, it's a wonderful reality that the gospel message has been proclaimed and that has been effective to you, not only to you, but it has gone out to other areas of the country. We have a missionary budget, and the purpose of that budget is to attempt to do what we can to help solid missionary groups in other parts of the world to spread the gospel to other places where we can't go. And uh, that's one of them every year in September. We have a kind of a missions or ministry partners fellowship and a time in which we invite some of these missionary speakers or mission partners here to the church to share their ministry and their work so that we can be encouraged to maybe increase our giving or to redirect our giving so that we can be part of, of the Great Commission and spread the gospel message throughout the world. The day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to reign over the universe. And that's going to be a wonderful time. We want to do everything we can to increase that, to aid that, and to exalt his name, magnify his name. So there is that second part there, that it is the, the message, the hope that has been proclaimed throughout the world. 
that is another point. The last one that we looked at the other day is found in the middle of verse, see, verse six is that message that has come to you just as in all the world. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been, do, has been doing in you also since the day they heard it. The gospel has been bearing fruit, has been producing fruit, even as it, has, as it has been doing. I was reading a commentary, which I didn't include last time, but in this commentary, Kenneth Weiss, one of the commentaries of the Greek New Testament, talking about this verse six, comments that Paul further uh, defines the gospel so as to identify it and differentiate, differentiate it from the false message of the, the Gnostics and others that were active in trying to spread a false gospel. And he calls it that which comes to you, which is the idea uh, that it has come alongside. It has taken up um, a close resonance in your church and it has reached you and that it uh, has kind of snuggled up, if you will, in the church and the people, that powerful message of the gospel and how we can find hope in Christ. And I don't know if, if everybody here has done that. We, we should make room in our day. I mean, we watch the news. I mean, you get up in the morning, what's the only, first thing you do is you go on and turn on the TV to see what's going on with the weather and the news and stuff. But it's more important when you get up in the morning to get your Bible and to see what God has to say about you and about himself about that day and let the word speak to your heart let god use that word remember that it's not just a, a document of black and white letters but it is god's word god's breathed truth to us to you and to me and so we want to read it and let god use it in our lives and so we we uh we, we take that message and that word and it begins to bear fruit in our lives and um Paul talks about the gospel that has been making progress throughout the world and uh, he talks about that that message and that gospel being identified with that church and those believers and with us. We, we travel around sometimes to other churches. Uh, we were at a conference not long ago and we visited other, with other believers and her speakers and we were united in a common fellowship because we were part of the same family. We both, we all had given our lives to the Savior and we were unified or united together in the gospel. And uh, regardless of what language we speak, we all have the same Holy Spirit and we all love the same Savior. Uh, Revelation talks about men from every nation, tribe, tongue, people standing before the Lord and worshiping him and singing his praise. That's going to be something else. That's going to be a wonderful time. That is the hope, and he is the hope of our day. And so we come now to another word, which I'm going to we'll look at here this morning, and that is the word grace. Uh, in this text, it uh, says it came to us, came to know the grace of God in the sphere of truth. Um, grace is, a, and, and before I start, let me just say that it, when you when you make a translation from one language to another, sometimes it's a little difficult to exact, get exactly the same meaning to understand it completely. Translations are take a lot of work, and um, there are mission organizations we support. One of them, Wycliffe, who have taken the original 
Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts, and they've gone into areas and tribal areas that we would call them maybe uh, archaic or um, I don't know if you want to say backwards, but places where they don't have electricity, they don't have running water, then they live in primitive conditions. Papua New Guinea is one that comes to mind. Um, but they, they go to these areas and the few people will set up camp and live there with them, get to know them, uh, begin to assimilate their culture, live their culture, and, and uh, kind of become part of them so that they can learn their language and reduce their language to a kind of a written alphabet and then translate the old the Bible into their language and give them an alphabet and then start the process not only of teaching them the language but giving them an education in their language so they can read the Bible in their own language in their own heart language that is a, a massive undertaking but it has begun to bear fruit. And there have been lots of people's lives that have been changed and turned around. And we've, we've seen, not here at this church, but we've seen examples of how lives have been touched through God's mercy and God's grace. Not only does he touch their lives, but he'll touch your life as well. He'll work in your heart and your life. You read your Bible, you unleash the power of the universe, not just the stale power, but the loving power of the Lord in your heart and your life. And he can use that in your life and speak to your heart and change your life. Uh, and that's a good thing. So here is this, this verse talking about the grace of God and going from the, the Greek, which is the word charis, into the English language. It's, it really is a difficult word in one sense for me to, first of all, to understand. And then in, in my attempt to understand the language, to translate in a way that makes sense to us, um, the idea, and one of the commentaries talks about it, is uh, the idea of charis is something that carries with it joy, um, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance. Um, it's, it's that which is, is uh, accepting for kindness or granted desire or benefit. It's a favor done without expectation in return. Um, it is an absolutely free expression of loving kindness of God to men. And uh, so let me, let me just read a few verses in different, different English words have been translated from this one Greek word to give you an idea of the variety of meanings. For example, in Luke chapter two, um, the word could be translated favor. It says Christ continued to grow and become strong increasing in wisdom and the grace or favor of God was upon him. Now that's, that's the same word and it could be translated there. The favor of God was upon Christ as he began to grow. Means that Christ was, was uh, experiencing the, the protection, the love and the care of God the Father as he was beginning to grow there um, in, those, in those days in Luke chapter two. In verse uh, 52, it talks about Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and statue and in, here it is, the word favor with God and man. You can put the word favor or you can put the word grace, but you see the word favor gives you an idea of what it, of what it means. It means to grow in, in favor uh, in, in, under the protection and the kindness and the love of God. Uh, that word is used also, um, Luke 6 says, um, 
Jesus talking about uh, if you love those who love you, what the word would be grace, but it has been translated in most commentators, I mean, most translations, credit. What credit is that for you? But even sinners love those who love them. What he's saying is if you only do good to somebody who does good to you, what is the advantage of that? How does that credit you? He's saying, love those who hate you, do good to those who mistreat you, so that you can display a, not just a love, but a supernatural love, the love that Christ says to love those and to care for those. But the word there is credit, and you kind of get the idea as that word is used with credit, it has the idea of what value in exchange does that provide. Uh, and that's a very important idea with the word grace, because grace dealing with our salvation and our relationship to God, grace is used in antithesis or in contrast to works. Um, we are, I guess, culturally raised to think that God responds to us according to our works, according to our religious deeds. I can remember as a, as a kid, but I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I had gone to church and was somewhat religious. And I can remember things that I wanted from God that I wanted him to do. And so I promised that if he did this, I would go to church five times. And uh, I know that sounds childish, it is, but it was the way I was thinking. I thought that that was a reasonable thing to promise to God that if that if he would do what I wanted that I would do this and, and go to church five times which he did what I wanted but I didn't go to church five times <laughs> I didn't keep my end of the bargain um, but anyway we think of this we think of, of our relationship with the Lord many times in response to our works right our deeds the things that we do uh, Maybe we do some good things and or maybe we pray for some people. Uh, I have friends that, that uh, have a habit every time they hear an ambulance or a fire engine, they pray for the people that are doing that. And that's a good thing, nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't accumulate brownie points with God so that he says, well, you've been really, really generous with your prayers. So I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. But we think of that, but that's, that's the opposite grace Grace is God's bestowing goodness and kindness and protection and provision on us, which we don't deserve. It's better than we deserve. God, somebody has taken the word grace and has translated God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is that word that is now translated into the English, which describes the greatness of God's salvation, the greatness of God's provision for us, which we don't deserve. What do we deserve? Well, yes, right, we deserve hell. We are all sinners. We are all in rebellion in one way or another, including the preacher. And uh, the, I'm the one person, I guess, that you expect to walk closest to God, but I find my life being a disappointment many times. And it's a, it's a serious thing. And uh, it's we want to be a good example, not a bad example. We want our life to so focus on seeking to please the Lord that people will see the good things that we are doing in our response 
and ask us a reason for the hope that we have in the middle of some dire circumstances. We're living in days, I think we're living in days that we're going to see a great response to the gospel because we're living in desperate times. There's a lot of, well, I was thinking the other day, uh, I went down to Ingalls to get some gas and I went down there and they had to pull up to a pump and I looked over there, I was wondering because most of the pumps were busy but this one was empty and I pulled up and got out of the car and went around there and I saw there was this plastic bag that said the pump was out of order or not, was empty or whatever it was. And I got to thinking about that as I was looking out for another uh, pump and they're all being used. You got to think about it. what we do if we all of a sudden we run out of gas. Well, we've seen that. We've seen long lines. We've seen people get irritated and fighting over just a tank of gas. And we've seen people that, you know, you fight over $4 worth of gas, I mean, $4 price for gas, which I don't like. I'm not saying I like that. But if you can't get gas, and there is a place over here that has $4 a gallon, people will go and get it. They'll buy it because you have to have that gas. You have to have that transportation. But we may be seeing a time in which you're not going to be, get, be able to get gas. So we may be seeing. We've seen uh, shells. Um, I have two cats, and I did have one time 12, which tells you what kind of family you have. And, um, but there was a time... When I not too long ago, when I went down to Walmart, and there's a whole aisle that's dedicated to nothing but cat food, and about uh, two thirds of the aisles were empty. Uh, the shelves in the aisle were empty. There were a few scattered things here and there, but um, cats are very finicky, and so you, you can't just buy something and put it down and expect them to eat it. If they don't like it. They don't eat it, and it sits there. And they, they are. Uh, I don't know if they do that on purpose, just to whatever. But anyway, cats are, are, are a little bit weird sometimes that way. Uh, my son thinks I worship them, but I, I don't do that. They, they, uh, they're very sweet animals and we just love them. But anyway, we're having a hard time sometimes getting things in, in shelves and, and finding the things that we would normally be able to get without any problem. And it may get worse. I've told people I think that probably these are good days to stock up on non-perishable things because you might be able to go to the store and get what you want in six months or so. I'm not, you can call that panic if you want to, but it may be a word to the wise because these are some scary times. We see the virus coming. Um, who would have thought that professional sports would, would uh, be postponed or canceled due to a virus? Who would have thought? that uh, concerts would have been can be canceled because of a virus. Who would have thought that? Um, we talked about our military and the strength of our military and how strong we are and we can defeat uh, any enemy. And I, by the way, I'm in favor of the military and I do think we ought to be strong and I'm 100% behind that completely. But I do know that here comes not an invisible small bacteria that's able to bring this country to its knees in a way that the, the, the military machine can't do and, uh, and and it's clear because we know what the Bible says about God's sovereignty it's clear that he's in charge he knows what he's doing and he's able to, to oversee these things and to bring out of this what he wants and um, I don't know everything what he's doing but I think he's humbling us mm -hmm. to help us realize that there is that the throne of the universe is occupied and he is on that throne, and he is functioning, and he is he is not backslidden or whatever. So here is 
here is this this idea that God is sovereign and that he is over us and yet he is working in our midst to show us that he's in charge he is a God of mercy and a God of grace he does not give us what we deserve he gives us mercy and grace and uh, give me let me give you a few verses I was thinking of in John 14 which is the beginning of John's gospel and John talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God this is a an, another place where you have a, a Greek philosophy and a Greek word and you're trying to translate it into the English which is a little bit confusing because God's word is is absolute truth and sometimes it takes a little bit of study and, and research to, to grasp what's being said but when he talks about the word becoming flesh the word is uh, an expression of uh, authority of uh, Greek understanding and logic and communication and he talks about he uses that as a phrase to describe the second person of the Trinity becoming flesh and dwelling or tabernacling among us in other words he's saying that that the second person of of the Trinity and there's one God displayed in three persons but the second person became flesh you you know at Christmas time you do a study about the birth of the Christ child born of a virgin Mary that he's the born of a virgin that makes him sinless he did not inherit the sin nature and yet he does have uh the genetic seed of David in his system. In other words, he is a physical descendant of David without the sin. And uh, so he was, he is born of a virgin and uh, became a man. And John 1.14 says that um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the writers, uh, John, who is a writer of this particular gospel, gospel John, said that we beheld his glory the glory as of the uniquely born of God, full of grace and truth. Now, all of those words are powerful. The first statement there, written by John, says, We beheld his glory. Glory has to do with magnificence, splendor, contrast, greatness, difference. John said that when he was born among us and walked with us, we beheld his glory. The word behold there means more than just saw. My son just finished, finished a vacation that they made to the Grand Canyon. And I've heard him say, and I've heard others say that you've seen pictures of it, you've seen images on TV, but he said when you go there and you go around the area and there you're exposed to the Grand Canyon, it is a spectacle and a breathtaking sight that no picture, no video can match. And you actually are almost breathless as you behold the greatness of this canyon. And that's sort of what John said. It wasn't just that we saw him, but we beheld. We, we were uh, eyewitnesses of that thing. I mean, John closes his gospel by saying that he performed, uh, if everything that he did, Jesus did, had been recorded, that the world would not be able to contain all the things that should be written about him because he the lord was so magnificent and so great and so so uh, majestic i mean any miracle uh, is is uh, is intended to be a sign to point to god to tell us that jesus is from god and his word is from god 
But the miracles are so spectacular, and in every case, his enemies always acknowledge the power of his miracles. They can never deny it. We're looking in Sunday school at the, the raising of Lazarus in John 11. We were looking in John 9 at uh, the, the blind man who was given sight blind from, well, I don't know if it says blind from birth, but he was blind and uh, he was totally blind. He was given sight. Uh, but in all these cases, this is not just something like you see some television evangelist doing some kind of little something and, and maybe impressing people and doing kind of crazy stuff, knocking people over or whatever they do. No, this was the actual performance of, of great miracles. Uh, a man who had been dead for four days, whose body was stinking and there was that hot climate, he was dead and there would be all kinds of flies and other things flying around and his body was wrapped with cloth so they wouldn't be able to get on him, but he was dead. And Jesus comes and yells out, Lazarus come forth. And the man who'd been dead four days now comes forth fully alive and able to, to hobble out. And then they, Jesus says, take the gauze off of him and let him go, release him, let him go. And the enemies who were enemies of Jesus could come and examine him and talk to him. He was fully alive, as alive as you and I are. Or the miracle of the blind man, the man in John 9, who was who was at the gate of the temple and he was begging because he was blind. And Jesus comes by and the disciples are talking about this man. So why is he blind? Is he, was it, did he do some kind of sin? Did his parents do kind of sin? Jesus said, no. Said so he's blind for the greatness of God's glory, for the testimony for the work of God's glory. He's blind for the purposes that he's going to be used of God to exalt the name of God and the person of God and, and uh, the work that I'm here to do. And uh, he, Jesus healed him a different way that time. He made clay, and he put the clay on the eyes of the mind with blind. You sit there and you do that, and you, you don't know what's going on. You just know he put some moisture stuff on it. And then he says, now, you need to go down to the pool of salt. You know where that is. Just down the road there a little bit to the left. Go to that pool and wash. The man did it. And as soon as he washed it out, what happened? He became back seeing that's a miracle. And Jesus performed all kinds of miracles and they display the majesty, the glory, the greatness of God's work. That here's a, here are things that are impossible. And yet this man, by the power of God, can undo all of the physical laws, uh, physical natural laws, laws of science and everything, including walking on the water. They display the greatness of this man. And so here is this, this picture of of Jesus and John says that the word became flesh and we beheld we were able to look at and witness and appreciate the greatness of this one we beheld his glory his contrast his greatness it's the glory not of just some great speaker but the glory as of the only uniquely born of God born of a virgin uniquely born he was he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not some natural father we beheld his contrast, his greatness, his glory, uniquely born of the Father, full of two things, grace and truth. In other words, here is this man whose life was overflowing with grace and truth. And we know what truth is, and uh, I hope you appreciate it because uh, a lot of people have a lot of opinions. I mean, we, we almost anticipate when we turn on the news, 
most of what's being said is not going to be true. Most of the advertisements they try to convince you is everything that they sell is absolutely the best and will do the things that they say and will and accomplish. But we know for a fact that there's a biased opinion and they are trying to sell you their product. And we also know that most of the politicians that get up there and run their mouth also have a, a private agenda. And we've seen over and over and over again that it's not always true. In fact, maybe most of the time it's not. That's a bad thing to say. I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway. So we know that there's a lot of information out there, but there is one source, and only one source, that's guaranteed to be absolutely true, and that's God's word. And so we we and, and, and we know that Jesus is called the word of God, the communication of God, the revelation of God. He is truth. And he says, tells us, he says, You shall know the truth, shall know me, my truth, my word, and the truth shall make you free. It'll set you free from bondage. It'll set you free from people who are trying to control you with their ideologies and their opinions. It'll set you free. And so here's this, this, this picture of Jesus. He's full of truth and he's full of grace. What is grace? It's the abundant provision of God for man, which is not earned, is not deserved. It is a free gift. It is a provision by God for our salvation, for our life. For the hope of us it is god's provision for us and uh it is it is provision that we can't work for we can't earn it we we think we can we want to we say well okay lord you know uh, i get up and, and and all of a sudden uh something happens to my car i'm out stranded i've been stranded before and, and all of a sudden all the props are taken out so i promise god a lot of things if god will get me out of this this dilemma, I've done that a lot in my life, and uh, promise him for things. And uh, but this is this is not just that he is the one that sets us free, without having we can't we can't do enough works to level the balance sheet of our righteousness that, that is needed in our life. That we are sinners and our lives are are messed up, and we are self-centered and we are arrogant and we're. We are, uh, I talk to people, they don't like to talk about that, but it's true that we are in rebellion against God. And we know that. We know that you don't, that you, our children, we don't have to teach them to steal or be dishonest or lie. The same as mom and dad. They don't have to teach us that. We have those things in our life. That's the way we are. And we are sinful. And uh, we're not, we, we, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners in our nature, in our heart. And uh, we're messed up. And uh, he came to seek and to save those that are lost, those that are beyond hope, those that have no hope in themselves, no ability to provide for themselves. If we think that we are able to provide for ourselves, then we're in a situation where we're beyond hope. We're, we, we can't because we can't. God is 100% holy. One of the universal declarations of men that people will all agree on is, well, nobody's perfect. That's true. But if you want to stand before God and be accepted by him, you'll have to be perfect. You're not, and neither am I. And so we are, we are outside of the provision or the mercy of, or the, the hope, unless that hope is anchored in God's provision. And the, the, the subject that calls that, describes that relationship is the word grace. It is God's riches which is at Christ's expense. It is God's riches for us, his provision 
His salvation, that's what salvation, salvation means deliverance. Paul says in Romans, says, I am not, he says, uh, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed of the gospel because it is the power of Almighty God for deliverance to those who are in Christ, trust Christ and his, to, to provide his righteousness for us. We are, we are provided that in Christ and it is by his mercy and by his grace and uh, so we understand that Romans says that we are justified as a gift by his grace. Justified means that God makes a formal statement. It is a forensic term. It is a legal term. It's not just an opinion of somebody. It's not just a reporter reporting something. It is a, with says the, the, the gavel, the judge making a, formal declaration forgiven by God. How would you like to have that declaration made that God says you are totally forgiven of all sin. You stand before me now in righteousness. How can you do that? Only by the grace of God. You stand complete in Christ. And that's the only way you can stand because he went to the cross. And why did he go to the cross? He went to the cross to die your sin. He died. He took your spanking. He took your punishment. Um, God is absolutely holy. And we are, we acknowledge nobody's perfect, including us. And therefore we have no hope, but because he provided for us as a substitute, he paid for our sin, in his own body on the cross so that we might be treated like Christ. We, we don't deserve that. So he, he died as a, as a substitute. He died as a sacrifice for us. And, uh, we live that way too. Paul says in Romans 5 2, um, we've obtained inheritance in faith, uh, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. So that not only are we saved by grace, but God in his infinite mercy and grace keeps us in his grace every day. We're trusting in him and we walk with him if we're saved. So the question is, and this is the, this is what we're looking at here. The question is, do you stand in his provision and his mercy and his grace. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Is he your only hope for time and eternity? Remember, I know all of you remember John 3.16. John 3.16, one of the first verses in my, I have an old New Testament that my grandmother, my godly grandmother gave me when I was, I guess maybe four, five. And uh, she wrote down to my beloved uh, grandson with bestest love. Grandma, and she wrote down John three sixteen, and she underlined it. And what does John three sixteen say? Well, that's King James version. You know it by heart. For God so loved the world, that love is not a feeling. Remember, love is agape; it's a provision. God so loved, pursued, and provided for the world that He gave His only Son. That is Jesus Christ came as God's provision. Uh, he was born of a virgin, and He came into the world, and He came into the world. God gave Him body he lived a perfect life he went to the cross and he was crucified on the cross that was a death that he paid for you and for me god so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born son that whosoever believes in him and doesn't we use the word belief to speak of our belief in santa claus or our belief in jesus or our belief in the tooth fairy or whatever but it's not the same thing it's, it's unfortunate because that's the way the english word is but in the greek it has to do with trust in and hope in and relying on him 
And so who would never trust in him and rely on him and put your faith and trust in him, he will not perish. He will not be lost. He will not go into judgment, but will find, will be delivered. He will have everlasting. He will have the life of God that God provides for us so that we can be with him. Does that make sense? So it's, it's our own hope and it's our own hope in Christ. And the word that is used to describe that gift and the provision of that gift and the freeness of that gift, which cannot be earned, it is provided, provided by God's mercy and grace, is that word grace. And that's what he says. And so here is this, in this text that we have here, and uh, I'm gonna have to close now, but in that text here, he says that the gospel has come, the gospel has come alongside of you, if you will, just as in all the world, also bearing fruit, constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Uh, that word increasing means that the gospel is increasing not because of external, but because of the internal power of the gospel itself. Uh, it will not fade away. It's increasing, even as it's been doing in you also since the day you heard the gospel, understood the grace that is the greatness of God's provision, the mercy, the hope that God has provided for you in Christ. So I'm praying that all of us here in this room this morning know Jesus, know the Lord, and have come to him and sought him and seek him out. And if you haven't, this is a good time to do it. It's a very good time to do it. And I will be glad to talk to you. Anybody here in the church, I'm sure, would be glad to talk to you. It's really, really important. I have to, I'm going to be leaving up the church. Hopefully, I'm going to be calling first, but hopefully go see a, a man that has been very sick and uh, he's heard the gospel, but he's never really responded to the gospel. That's such a dangerous thing to do. Imagine, imagine standing on the freeway and somebody going down the road and you need a ride desperately, but they offer you a ride, but you say, no, I don't, I don't want to do it now, I'm going to wait and walk. Not many times that somebody comes down the freeway and offers you a ride, and not many times that God just comes down and opens your heart and says, look, you need Jesus. Give your heart and your life to him. So if he's speaking to you this morning, don't turn your back on him. Don't walk away because he may never come to you again. He may never do that. Even though you may go live another 30 or 40 or 50 years, he may never open your heart and enable you to come. So if he's doing that this morning, I would encourage you to do that. It's my prayer. Father, do thank you for your mercy, your grace. It is mercy. It is grace. It is the goodness of God provided for us at awesome expense on the cross so that we might be saved. I pray that you'll help us to take you at your word and respond to you. Father, I pray you'll help me to be real, help us to be genuine, help us to take you seriously and to really seek to follow you and to honor you in our lives. Bless this day, bless these people. Just work in our hearts. I also pray for this afternoon, Lord, while I'm thinking about it, I do want to have a man I want to go see. And I pray for that visit, that you would open that door and make it a productive time as well. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. Thank you for his grace, which is the, the provision, the wealth, the riches of God, which gives was given to us at such awesome expense for the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving.